Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by Dave Matter, here to break down this week in Mizzou sports. Talking some Mizzou basketball this week, maybe some developments on the football front as well. I'm first going to dive into this uh, Missouri basketball win over Kentucky um, and and kind of focus on, on hoops to start here, Dave, and also want to ask you about your chance to chat with Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, who is in town for a basketball game. Um, so let's start with hoops, though. Missouri finds a way past Kentucky, a game that was probably not as close as the score indicated. Missouri led wire to wire. Kentucky's not very good this year. Conzo Martin is now 2-3 and three as Missouri's coach against John Calipari. But this was clearly a Kentucky team that is not like the ones we're used to seeing. Uh, Missouri didn't play exceptionally great, but they played well enough to – not have a bad loss and Drew Smith played outstanding. I think he was absolutely the star of the game against Kentucky. Yeah, I, I thought this was kind of a, a challenging matchup for Missouri. I mean, take the take the name off of Kentucky's uniform and just look at what they are. They are a physical team. They're a defense first team. They do play pretty good defense just by the naked eye. And then if you look at like the metrics, their problem is offensively. They just they can't shoot. Um, they don't have that dude that they've had in the past, whether it's Jamal Murray or Tyrese Maxey or Tyler Ulis or just some guy that can take over a game. Last year was Emmanuel Quickly. They just don't have that this year. And they've had some injuries, and nobody's going to feel sorry for John Calipari and having roster issues. But this year just hasn't worked for him. The newcomers, transfers, and, and the five-star freshmen, um, it just hasn't clicked. But they do play physical, and they're a big, tall team. And those kind of teams have given Missouri some issues this year. They had a really sound approach on Jeremiah Tillman. They just doubled him like crazy, and they gave him a lot of contact. He, I wouldn't say he struggled, but he just he didn't have one of his signature games. But everybody else, not everybody else, but enough guys from Missouri made enough plays. Drew Smith especially. Mitchell Smith was really good on the defensive end. He took a really crucial charge late, had some big rebounds, still in love with that three-point shot. Um, but he did enough. Otherwise, Mark Smith made some big shots, clutch timing on a couple of shots he made, including a little floater in the lane uh, in, uh, in the last four minutes. But Missouri just did a great job of managing the final four minutes. And that's where Kentucky has just imploded in a lot of their close losses this year. So Missouri looked like the veteran experience team that we know that that it is. A couple topics came to mind that I wanted to ask you about, but you mentioned Mark, and I thought it was a really good game for Mark Smith. He's coming off the bench now, Javon Pickett in, in the starting lineup. It looked, kind of looked like Pickett maybe twisted an ankle or yeah. pinned something to his foot during the game. So we'll, let's, we'll see how he recovers from that. But what do you think about that look of, of Pickett starting? Um, he had kind of been the, the energy guy coming off the bench, and now Mark Smith is in that role. Mark Smith's defense, I think, doesn't get talked about enough. Um, you know, when he misses threes, everybody talks about that, and that's the biggest part of his game. But he also defends one of their better defenders, and there's a reason probably the first game he didn't start, Missouri had a hard time right. um, keeping keeping the score down. What do you make of what Conzo's what doing here, starting Pickett, bringing Smith off the bench? Do you think that's temporary? Do you think that's something that is could stick here? And and, and what, what are the pluses and minuses of that that we've seen through a couple games? Yeah, I, I think they'll stick with it as long as it keeps working. And so far, they're 2-0 and since they've done that. And I, I thought Mark came in and just looked more relaxed. And that's the whole point of this. Conzo just keeps saying he needs to breathe and relax and, and 
get out of his own head, basically. Uh, he had, a, I think he, he made two threes. He had a third one that just rimmed in and out, but he looked mm -hmm. like he's shooting in rhythm, uh, made really good decisions on when to shoot. He was closer to the line, which Conzo has been all over him <laughs> for lately. Right. And I thought one of it, you know, he, he had trouble. He took it inside a couple of times. It looked like he was just trying to draw foul um, and absorb some contact because they were calling everything and he didn't get the call and said he got the ball was swatted right back in his face. But he came back strong in those final four minutes and, and got to the uh, dribble to the foul line and, and took like a little off balance floater that, that went in and was a, a really clutch, important shot. So um, I, I, I thought so far it's worked pretty well. You know, pick it, you know what you're going to get with him most nights uh wasn't much of a scoring night for him but he's quietly shooting pretty well from outside he's kind of picking his shots when he does and you're going to get effort you're going to get him moving without the ball like he always does yeah he did come up limping looked like he rolled his ankle but then they, they brought him in at the very end because mark took a shot to the nose or the eye then after the game too so it was just a really physical game i mean they uh missouri it got was on the the uh positive end of the fouls and the call so i don't think fans should be too upset with the officiating but uh I, I thought drew smith more than anybody he took advantage of the way the game was being called and got to the foul line 14 times i mean that that's a veteran move right there yeah those free throws were really what kept missouri a safe distance out yeah. in front they didn't hit many field goals in the final few minutes there in fact i don't think they hit a field goal in the final what three almost three maybe more minutes but they made free throws and they're a pretty good free throw shooting team which kind of leads me to the other point i wanted to bring up you wrote about how, how Cal was kind of pointing to a weakness of, in his team of not being able to finish in the final four minutes. I mean, they really hit a wall in yeah. the final four minutes of the game. And we saw that. We saw that in this win for Missouri. Missouri kind of seems to get a, a little more bounce in its step in the final four minutes. I mean, you can look at the Illinois win. You can look at the, the win that they came back and clawed to get against Bradley. Um, you know, ending on an th old-fashioned three-point play by Tillman. They're 5-0 and in games that are decided by, is it three points or, or less? Five, um, yeah, you know, five, points. five points or less. And, they, and they're, you know, they're, they're pretty good in games that are close. Uh, if they lose, they tend to lose bad, which is not a great thing. Right. But if the games are close, then Missouri seems to be able to find a way. They've gotten some luck. Um, I mean, some, some bounces, some calls here along the way. They've been such an unlucky team in the past. This is not a, a stat you can quantify, but it does kind of seem like they're getting some more things to roll in their way this year. Sometimes teams have that. Sometimes teams also make their own luck by doing things like hitting free throws and, and, and being more locked in in those final four minutes. It was very interesting to compare and contrast how they handled the end of the game versus Kentucky, a team that's clearly struggling with that. Yeah, and I think it starts with the guys who are handling the ball. Uh, they have been putting Drew Smith a little bit more at point guard lately. He was playing off the ball the way that X Pinson was was playing uh, with the ball in his hands and attacking. Has been so good. Last night, I thought he got a little carried away with some of the lobs. You know, I, I, I joked on Twitter, it looked like he was playing in the NBA All-Star game. Like every possession, he was trying to throw a lob dunk to somebody. Don't but, you think that like, started more after the Auburn game? I think Pinson yeah, saw great. the way Auburn was yeah. throwing bobs, and he said, I can do yeah. some of that. I think the, yeah. I think that's a direct result of playing against Cooper. And he had a great one to Tillman that Tillman flushed for a, a really impressive play. Um, but, yeah, late in the game, though, you can put the ball in, in Drew Smith's hands, and he, more often than not, far more often than not, makes good decisions with the ball. He, he knows how to – the angles, you know, he, he knows how to get to the basket. He knows how to absorb fouls. He knows who to find. I mean, he played 37 minutes last night, had one turnover. 
and uh, just really, really impressive. And then if you want to, if you need a guy that needs to go on the attack and get to the rim or find somebody under the basket, you know, Pinson can do that too. So I just think this team, and part of this is just being an experienced older group. They all know their roles and very rarely does someone try to do something that they're not equipped to do. Now we can quibble about the Mitchell Smith threes, but he's, the offense is designed for him to take those. The corner threes, I think Conzo's fine with. It's the pull-ups that are at mm-hmm. the top of the key um, that probably has him scratching his head a little bit. But but the corner threes, those are good looks. He's made them before in the past, but he might have got been a little overambitious last night. I think I think there needs to be a new rule for, for Mitchell Smith. And again, he does a lot of good things. He plays hard as heck. He rebounds. He can put tip-ins back in around the rim. He's a an energy player who has made an overall plus for this team. We shouldn't forget that. However, I think the Mitchell Smith rule needs to be if you miss two consecutive threes without a made one in the game, then you're done. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't, you can shoot one and if you make it, you get another one. Right. And if you make it, you can keep going. But if you miss two in a row, it's over. Yeah. That needs to be, I think it's, it's simple rule. Maybe they should, uh, maybe they should look at it. Another thing is, Mitch, you're open for a reason. Think about that before you shoot six in a game, and, and then I'll stop beating them up. One thing we should touch on quickly, and then we're going to kind of zoom out here on this basketball season. Cameron Fletcher, the star player out of St. Louis, goes to Kentucky. A lot of people hope he would have gone to Mizzou. He's had a tough go at Kentucky. He's kind of butted heads with Cal. He hasn't played a lot. He, was, he spent some time away from the team. He was back. He played like one minute in the game against Missouri. Um, and, and, and I don't Personally, I think I think this young man is – I don't think he's done everything right, probably. I don't know. But it seems to me like Cal is kind of making an example out of him in a year where Cal needs to seem like he's playing – you know, coaching his players tough. Um, I think the kid kind of get, is getting a short end of the stick this season at Kentucky. What do you make of the chances of, of, of Fletcher be – I don't know if he, if he wants to return to Kentucky. Um, clearly, he'll need to probably play better somewhere if he's going to go – to the NBA, what do you make of the chances of him maybe popping up on a Mizzou, maybe a SLU, maybe a Illinois, who knows, maybe somewhere at one of these area teams as a transfer at some point? I, frankly, and this was without knowing what's going on behind the scenes, and it doesn't sound like the, the folks who cover Kentucky on a daily basis really know that much either. I, I'm kind of surprised he's still on the team as much as we've seen with like roster movement in, in college basketball today. Uh, when you don't play a single minute, in SEC play until you get to your home state and you play less than a minute. And full disclosure, I didn't even notice him on the court. I I would look down to write something down. Uh, Mitchell 40 was sitting six feet away said, Oh gosh, it looked like Fletcher just got in the game because he he was walking then back to the sideline to his spot on the bench. And uh, Cal had called a timeout quick timeout after a little bit of a Missouri run. And sure enough, yeah, he was he didn't record any stats and it was less than a minute. I don't know if it was a hey, we're in your home state, I'll play you, but it was the first time he's played since that blow up in the North Carolina game back in December. So who knows what's going on there? It Cal didn't talk very long in his post-game zoom and he wasn't asked about the Fletcher situation. I think people are more concerned with Terrence Clark, the injured five-star guy who hasn't also didn't make the trip. Uh, Jacob Toppin didn't make the trip, didn't play for them. And then their other freshman, the shooter, who's been really good for them, he uh, he only played in the first half. They didn't give him a single minute in the second half. And he basically credited Missouri saying they just ran him off the three-point line. If he can't shoot threes, there's not much use to him. So it's kind of team turmoil for Kentucky right now. Um, again, nobody's going to feel sorry for them because they have the number one recruiting class 
in the nation coming in next year, plus probably the best transfer in America, that big man from West Virginia. So um, weird situation for sure. And yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Fletcher, and this is without knowing anything about his personal decision, but wouldn't surprise me at all if he's on a different roster. No, I don't know that I would, this is my personal opinion. I don't like hearing a coach who's getting, who's having a bad year go into his post-game press conference and, and basically call players out for, for, making it sound as if they're faking injuries, which is what Cal did to Terrence the other night. He since apologized for it, but he's had a few comments this year and Fletcher has been one of the persons who's received some of those comments that have made him look, I think more like he's trying to protect himself and he's trying to protect his players. So we'll see if he can get through this, uh, this disappointing year and, uh, and have a chance to get that recruiting class. It's a good thing. He, he has it in the bag because a lot of folks are wondering if he's lost his touch a little bit. So yeah, We'll, we'll, we'll turn the page from from, ten, from uh, Kentucky here, but also look at one final thing before we talk a little football. You mentioned it. You've tweeted about it. Missouri has talked a lot about, hey, we have these five um, quad one wins. We're the only school in the country. We're the first school in the country to get there, uh, not named Gonzaga, which I think everybody agrees is the top team in the country. But there's if you're wondering why Missouri is slipping down in the net, you know, dropping, it's not exactly that they lost to Auburn, although that didn't help. Some of these teams that Missouri beat in the non-conference are not taking care of business, Dave. It's nothing Missouri can control, right? The Wichita States and the Oregon's they're starting to do things that are chipping into Missouri's at large resume here. Now, not a question of whether the Tigers will be a tournament team. Uh, It's, it's their seeding talk. And it's starting to look like maybe some of that, that resume that they really hope to be really strong is going to give out on them a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Illinois is in good shape. They're number four in the net rankings as of Thursday. So that that's still looking like a really good win. Oregon though, sitting there at 46 and now that's a neutral site game. So they have to stay, what is it? Top 50 for that to stay a quad one win. So Missouri fans need to be pulling for the ducks for sure. And then Wichita state, that is a, uh, that's a true road game. And that, that stays a quad one game as long as they are top 75. Well, as of Thursday, the Shockers are 76. So Missouri fans should be rooting for the Shockers the rest of the year to boost that number. Liberty's at 89. Um, I, I think people probably thought they'd be a little bit better this year. Bradley at 146. And that's the two-time defending Missouri Valley Conference tournament champions. You'd think they'd be a little bit better. TCU at 96. Although TCU, I think they had a nice win over – did they beat Oklahoma State? Wednesday night. I know they were leading that game. I kind of after after almost beating Missouri. Yeah. Um, also, the bottom of the SEC is not very good. A and M one thirty eight. Uh, South Carolina ninety two. Mississippi State, which beat Missouri eighty four. That was bad. Uh, Missouri hasn't played Vanderbilt yet. They're one fifty. So and Georgia's at ninety nine. So yeah, it's uh, the the schedule's not really doing Missouri a lot of favors at this point. And also. Yeah, they're winning games, but when you use some of these metrics to determine the net rankings, they take offense and defensive efficiency into it. Uh, they don't necessarily take margin of victory, but it, there is some formulas on how Missouri wins, and they win a lot of close games. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not always pretty, and those don't always compute into the best rankings necessarily. So um, sometimes, you know, Conzo Martin will gladly take a rock fight win, 58, 55, but those don't necessarily help you when you're competing against teams that are scoring in the eighties and are, and are really good on both sides of the floor. And not that Missouri's bad. They just, they win a different style sometimes. 
Yeah, they're not as not as sexy in the in the efficiency ratings as some of the some of the other teams out there. They they need some of those other teams they've already beaten to pick up the pace a little bit and try to help them out here. Some again, no no worries of them losing an at large. Um, they're the number two team in the SEC with a huge game coming up Saturday against yeah. number one Alabama. That's that game will be there. I'll be there with you, Dave. We'll have full coverage in, in the post dispatch. That game is going to be really interesting. Alabama shoots a ton of threes and gets to the basket and really doesn't care about anything else in between, which yep. might be good for Missouri because Missouri has fallen victim to those pull up twos and mid range uh, against Mississippi State and some other games. This is going to be a game here quickly, Dave, that I think the Tigers cannot fall into a three point shootout with these guys. If they try to get into a three point shootout with Alabama, they're going to lose because they don't have as good a three-point shooters as these guys do. They have to try to take advantage of Tillman, and they have to try to, I think, slow this game down a little bit to keep Alabama from playing its its preferred style of basketball. Yeah, you can't out-Alabama Alabama. Maybe some teams can, but Missouri's not really equipped to do that. They're probably better off slowing this thing down. And you still got to take advantage of, of your chances on offense. Um, but I, this isn't a game necessarily where Missouri benefits by having more possessions. That's how Alabama lives. And, uh, I, you know, Missouri's really good defending the three-point line most nights. Over, You know, look nationwide, statistically, they're good at that. So that gives them an advantage. That's how they beat Alabama last year when, when the tide came to Columbia um, late in the year. So they just had an off-shooting night. But they're, they're playing at a different gear right now, play really up-tempo under Nate Oates. And like you said, it, they're like the Houston Rockets, what they were under James Harden, you know, at the peak. It's it's all layups, free throws, and three-pointers and nothing in between. Yeah, Nate Oates, you can see why he wanted the college basketball season to continue. Yeah, uh, He's got the best team in the SEC so far, and it hasn't really been all that close. A couple important kind of bookkeeping things, Dave, but they matter. Um, the, the curators have approved uh, the hiring of an architect for the indoor football facility. And Drinkwitz has also put a bow with signing day, a quiet signing day. That's we hardly even talk about the second signing day now because there's usually very few surprises. But what it did do, it locked in Drinkwitz's recruiting class ranking 21st um, in, in this big class, which is pretty noteworthy for Mizzou and, and speaks to the kind of uh, players that he was able to get in his first official recruiting class. Any Anything special jumping out about those two things, the fact that this indoor facilities moving forward, it's going to have some ramifications based off of where it's placed and, and it's going to, it's going to cause some people to have to shift around a little bit and also drink what's putting a bow on this recruiting class. Yeah. As far as the facility goes now the the board just they're, they're meeting as we record this, but earlier this morning, they did approve the hiring of the architect and the engineers. This is not the same as approving the total project. You, you got to start with the, uh, with hiring the firms. They expect to vote on the full approval in May, and that would be approving the budget. The, Missouri is budgeting this at like $31.7 million. We know they've already received the two $10 million donations, so they're basically at least two-thirds of the way there. I, I thought it was interesting. One of the curators today, he said, you know, this board agreed that, that the university system, the university is not going to finance this. You're going to have to do this on your own, athletics. And you're going to have to raise this money on your own. Otherwise, we're not going to approve this thing. So they still have time to, to finish out the financing. And I think that was understood all along, especially in the current you know, economic climate. Um, probably doesn't look great for university to be financing you know, uh, something that is – Eli Drinkwitz will say it's needed, but in the grand scope of things. <laughs> yeah, consider this item, or it's a necessity. <laughs> 
Um, so, but if you can find the donors that are going to pay for it, great, do that that way. Um, he, they did say today that the, the Mizzou wants to open this thing by August 22. So basically a year and a half. And it's going to be on, I've got a lot of questions about this. Mizzou prefers this to be currently where lot C is. That's the uh, up, the, the, the lot that is um, not down below at the entrance of the south end zone, but right there, essentially right where the media walks in to the press box, uh, off adjacent to the stadium, kind of the southwest corner of the stadium. And it won't take up every parking spot, but it will take up a good amount. Uh, that's where they want it to be, so that way the, the players have easy access from the practice facility to the locker room and the weight room and everything that's already been built right there. Uh, it's a it's a pretty you know hefty expense, thirty one million dollars. You combine that with the south end zone that was right around a hundred million. So Missouri is really doing what it can to uh, to catch up with the Joneses and the SEC with this stuff. That's not that much. That's like twenty million less than what the Rockies gave the Cardinals to take Nolan Arenado. There you go. Hey, perspective, perspective, Dave. Um, that's that's a good. That's a good wrap up there. Quickly, two more things before we run. You had a chance to talk with Greg Sankey. Um, he came to the TCU game. He got a thrilling game to watch, um, but cool that he was uh, he was there watching the Tigers in part because they're one of the, the top teams in the conference um, and an actual in-person press conference, although socially distanced. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I was at one of those. What, what were your key takeaways from talking with uh, the commissioner? Well, I, I thought it was sort of sobering, but realistic that he said, you know, this this college basketball season, not every game might get in. Uh, Missouri's got two games that they had to postpone because of their, their COVID situation a few weeks back. And he said the reality is um, not everybody might play their full 18 conference games. You know, Vanderbilt's a little bit behind. Texas A&M just had another game postponed. South Carolina's been way behind. And he basically said, you know, that the conference tournament will be seeded by winning percentage uh, because not everybody will probably play 18 games. So he does expect there as of now to be conference tournaments. There's been some rumblings that teams might opt out um, yeah. because the, especially if you've already got a spot in the NCAA tournament wrapped up, why, why, risk would you, why would you want to go to a conference tournament where 13 other teams are going to be and expose yourself uh, to you know, possible infection. And then a week later you play in the tournament that really matters. And, and he, he made it clear that he expects the sec to go forward and everybody to show up to their conference tournament. Um, because the, I think the line he uses the, the ethos of our conference is competition. He cited that they played 69 of the 71 football games this fall when nobody thought that was possible, but he did leave it open to say, Hey, you know, we're open to discussions here and we'll, we'll see what happens. So, Kind of like football, it seems like basketball in the postseason, you know, they, they want there to be an end game, but they may have to kind of make things up as they go along with uh, with how things unfold. And, and he was also asked about, does he expect full stadiums this fall? And I think we've all learned in COVID that you just can't project things, you know, nine months out. And that's essentially what he would be doing. And he, he, he just said there's no way to predict what that will look like. I think it, the SEC – if the SEC was in charge, everybody would play there in their conference tournaments. But if they get to a spot where other power conferences are pulling teams that are already at-large teams out, and yeah. Sankey feels like all of a sudden the SEC could be at a disadvantage, then maybe his tune changes there. I, I see his point, and that would follow through with what he felt about the football schedule, where you had teams playing games that were 
in the grand scheme of things, not all that important, but they wanted to right. finish their schedules. So I think he's trying to keep a semblance of normalcy in the scheduling as much as possible. So I'm just curious. I don't think the SEC will be the first team to pull a team out of the conference tournament, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that does wind up happening here. And I'd be curious to see how the SEC potentially reacts. Great stuff, Dave. Before we run, you had a chance to catch up with a guy we talked about last week, Andy Hill, chance to get him a, a Super Bowl ring. Um, how's Coach Hill and, and what's this been like for him, this whirlwind that he's been on with the Chiefs? It's been pretty wild. You know, I, I, I love the fact that Andy grew up a Chiefs fan in, in Trenton, Missouri. Um, he got a Chiefs Super Bowl sweatshirt in 1970. <laughs> when he was just a little kid, he, you know, he didn't have an NFL career, but he did have a tryout. He had one tryout in the NFL at a receiver and was with the chiefs back in 1985. So when, when he thought he was done coaching because he wasn't retained on Eli Drinkwitz's staff, he was resigned to a, you know, kind of a second arc of his career at Mizzou. And I'm going to write about that a little bit more in the story, but then he got this opportunity to work with Dave Tobe, an old colleague at Mizzou, who is one of the best special teams coaches in, in, a, in the NFL and I, I don't, I think we, we associate the NFL with these, um, these coaching jobs that are maybe easier and maybe more glorious. I, talking to Andy, he works now more at coaching and game planning and scouting than, than he necessarily did in college because it is a grind and you don't necessarily have this biggest staff. You know, you don't have these Nick Saban out overgrown outsized staffs in the NFL where you've got all these, you know, student assistants and analysts and all this doing your work for you. So it's really been a grind for him, but he, he is really, really happy. He really enjoys it. You know, he's, you know, the unfortunate thing is, you know, he, his family is still back in Columbia and he's in Kansas city. So he only sees him about once a week. Um, but it's, it's been a neat experience for him. And I think Mizzou fans who have been covering and following the program I should say following the program for a long time um, should have a fondness for Andy Hill. And I, I'm, I'm really happy for him because, uh, you, know, you grow up a Chiefs fan, and now you get to experience all of this while being on the sideline, while coaching these guys. He had a great line about Patrick Mahomes that I hope to squeeze into the story just on what it's like to work alongside him and, and watch him work and practice and play games. It, it was really neat observation. I encourage folks to check that out at stltoday.com and in the, the pages of the Post-Dispatch. One of the many storylines here that, that would be relevant to Mizzou fans, including Blaine Gabbert, who has a chance to be a Super Bowl backup quarterback? Who knows, Dave? You never know. Maybe he uh, maybe he finds a way to uh, to get some action in this game. We'll we'll see. What do you think about <laughs> yeah, that? Do you ever think yeah. Blaine Gabbert was going to be a Super Bowl champion? You hey, have man. Chase Daniel and Blaine Gabbert with the ring. Gangsters move in silence. That's what they say. <laughs> that's uh, that's, that's a direct quote from Blaine's Instagram. Interesting guy, Blaine Gabbard, but uh, good luck to him. Good luck to Andy Hill and uh, and look for those, those Mizzou faces out there um, on Super Bowl Sunday if you're, if you're watching. If you're like me, you'll just be ignoring it and pretending it doesn't exist because you're still sour about the Rams leaving St. Louis, but that's a whole other podcast for a whole other time. Dave, good work, man. Great stuff. We'll talk to you here next week, and I'll see you Saturday for Mizzou Alabama basketball. For okay. Dave, I'm Ben, and we'll remind everybody – to check out the podcast, stltoday.com slash podcast. Even easier, go to iTunes, wherever you download your podcast, and you can find us there. Just search for Eye on the Tigers podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.